It's Wednesday night, and we are studying a whole bunch of things that are all related. Baptism. Baptism. Atonement. Ransom. These are all directly or indirectly related with each other. Ransom, redemption. Redemption. Ha, ah, regeneration. Regeneration. And a bunch of other words, redeem. If you redeem something, if you'd go to the pawn shop and hock your watch or a ring, who owned it after you hocked it? Uh, before you hocked it, who owned it? You did. You did. That's right. You owned it. Polyngenesia. Regeneration. P A. L-I-N. What I'm doing is putting the original Greek words on the board. I look at them out of the concordance, and I want to get a further understanding of them. I go into the interlinear Bible, which has, in the Old Testament, it has the Hebrew square letters on the top line, and right under it has the English. I don't really trust the English language. So I, in the New Testament, I look at the, I've got, you've got the, the English, you have the, the Greek on the top line, and right under it, it has the English. I still don't trust the English words. So I go into it, study it, and try to explain it to you in English what it actually meant. Well, this word polyngenesia is the word regeneration. It means to restore. You didn't finish the word. Polyngenesia. When you see a G in the Greek, it's pronounced G. It's never pronounced J. Genesis. Like, like just. It's never... The soft G, it's the hard G. So polyngenesia comes from pollen, which means past or ancient. And the, all of this has to do with a washing. I've got the Greek words that go with it. I, I get puzzled about how to give you all this stuff because there's so much to all of it. All of it has to do with washing and the word washed. He's washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's a word. Latruo. And when the Bible speaks of the washing of regeneration, regeneration is a washing. All of this has to do with washing. Ransom, when you find the word ransom in the New Testament, it is basically 
the same word as atonement. And when you find the word uh, regeneration in the New Testament, it will be twice in the New Testament. You find the word ransom, and it will be the word kafar. Or excuse me, the Old Testament, kafar. Remember the word baptism. Baptism does not mean to dip in water or to sprinkle with water. But it's all a washing. Baptism comes from baptizo and bapto. Baptizo means to cover. You say, Jim, you've said this before. Yes, and the more I get into it, I need to say it again so I can remember it. I'm teaching myself as I'm teaching you. Babto means to stain or die. Now, when you dip somebody in water, unless somebody puts a bunch of dye in there, but it doesn't mean to stain with any kind of dye. It's talking about staining with blood. Even the word pitch in Genesis 6.14, the Lord says, Moses, you build an ark of gopher wood. It has to be, that's gopher wood is a type of wood that would not rot. Noah built the ark. Huh? Noah built the ark. I can't hear you. Noah built the ark. What did I say? Moses. I said Moses. <laughs> well, I get Noah in Moses' ark once in a while. Pitch the ark enter that with pitch. I know you're probably going to think I don't know what I'm talking about since I got Moses in the ark, but I've got him in the ark before. <laughs> Kafar is the first word pitch. Kafar. Now when you look up the word pitch with pitch in a Strong's Concordance, it will only give you kafar. Won't give you kofar. But when you look up that verse in an interlinear Bible, it will say kafar with kofar because kofar was a was meant to stain or to dye with a red dye. To stain with a red dye. Now pitch, I've done a lot of study on pitch. People don't know, the scholars don't know exactly where the pitch comes from. Some say it comes out of a tree. Some say it comes, it's natural asphalt coming out of the ground. Whatever it is, it was used to seal up the boats. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. Well, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're baptized with. Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is truth. Whenever you tell people truth, you go through a blood baptism. A blood baptism was a death. It was to be martyred. When Jesus tells James and John in Mark 10, can you be baptized? Are you able to be baptized with a baptism I am baptized with? And he said, how am I straightened till it be accomplished? The word accomplished is the word teleos. It means completed. He, sa he was saying in Luke 
the 12th chapter. It hasn't been completed yet. Yet he had been washed in water. In water three years before that. Because he's going to die the next day on a cross. And he called that a baptism. When he tells them, uh, are you able to be baptized? That would be a ridiculous statement to ask somebody, are you able to be dipped in water? Would you ask anybody that? No. Are you able to die the death is what he was telling them. To drink of a cup meant to undergo a death or a severe ordeal. And to be baptized with a true baptism was a blood baptism. And a blood baptism was death. Now, if you believe in this water that's going on, Jim, wasn't Jesus washed in water? Yes. Wasn't the Ethiopian eunuch washed in water? Yes. What was that? It was a proselyte process. Proselytes, proselytes were the Pharisees' converts. Now, the Pharisees were the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue, of the synagogue in Babylon. That's what they were. They were the rabbis, R-R-A-B-B-I-N. I-N is plural. They wouldn't say rabbis. They'd say the rabbin of the Babylonian synagogue where they had twisted the word of God when Israel was carried over into captivity, they twisted the word of God. They said, we've got to translate over to the Aramaic of the Babylonians of Babylon. And when they did, these rabbis who called themselves masters, they came up with two laws, with a verbal law, and they came up with a written law. They called the verbal law Halakha, and that Halakha could not be ever written down. And the written law was called Haggadah, H-A-G-G-A-D-A-H, and that could never be spoken aloud. But God changed his mind somehow by the time this is back at the beginning of the second temple when after the temple was destroyed and they were carried away and they had organized the Babylonian synagogue, when they did, finally it developed into the Mishnah, which was the law that the Pharisees used. Now, I've got a copy of the Mishnah. You can get that at a bookstore. You can buy that through or order it through a Christian book distributors. I got a couple of copies of it. And then later on, it it evolved into the Talmud. Talmud is a piece of garbage. And they have followed that, that halakha. And in that halakha, they had a proselyte baptism. That was invented by the Pharisees in Babylon when they translated that over. And they would pass down these traditions. And the, and the current head rabbi would put his approval on what he wanted to be translated and how he wanted to interpret it. So they said, we have to interpret the word of God. And they had never repented of their fire and tree worship from over here in Israel. And what they put in there, that one of the many things they put in, 
They said so many things. Jesus said so many things to the Pharisees that in their halakha, they said, we're going to kill this guy for doing, for messing with our, with our, our Bible. It was more or less their Bible, their Mishnah was. And Jesus would tell them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In their halakha, they said man was created on the sixth day to put him in subjection to the Sabbath. And they would, we'll kill you for that. They considered their halakha holy. And it was a bunch of garbage. When Jesus would say, you make the word of God of none effect by your tradition, by your paradosis. That's the word tradition. And when he said that to them, they went berserk on him. He said, and if you look at this in a Strong's Concordance, it will say, under the definition of it, you probably won't know what to think of it when you read the definition. It will say, the traditionary... Law of Moses. That's what your concordance will say under the word tradition. Is that good? No. The word tradition or halakha? What? Is that the word tradition or halakha? No, it's the word tradition. The tradition is the halakha. That's the point. It is the halakha. The halakha was a traditionary law. It was a traditionary law, the halakha was, when they were in Babylon. And they said that could only be spoken out loud. That's what a tradition is. To pass something down from one generation to the next that has no foundation in truth, like Christmas, Christ's Mass, Roman Catholicism. It's wrong. It is wickedness. So the traditionary law was the halakha. So they had brought that down into into Israel during the time of Christ. No one was teaching the truth during the time of Christ except John the Baptist. That's all. They were all teaching this traditionary law. One of my favorite illustrations of the tradition in the 15th chapter of Matthew the Pharisees said, why don't your apostles wash their hands before they eat? Well, they had to wash their hands because they ate at the triclinium table like over here. They wouldn't eat at that stupid table that Leonardo da Vinci drew where all the apostles got on one side of the table. They were eating at a triclinium. I know that, but I like to draw it. And the lady would walk in here and lay the, lay the food out. And they would eat from that tri, three-sided, triclinium table. That Lord's Supper thing that you see in all the churches and everywhere, that's garbage. But it was drawn, it was drawn by homosexual Leonardo da Vinci. What does he know about the Bible? Nothing. And he's got... John the he's got John the Beloved sitting right beside Jesus with his head laid on his breast. It's stupid. Ain't no way I'd ever put that up anywhere.
to lie on someone's breast. They laid on their left side. Well, the lady come in, they'd lay on that other, that left arm and to lean in someone's bosom and to lean back and talk to the guy behind you. You got him over there. You got him up here. And I've got hundreds of pictures in my library. I got thousands of books in my library and I got hundreds of pictures of this. It's just dumb what they've done. They don't care about definition, do they? Definitions will destroy the churches of today to lie in the bosom. So one of the other things they did, a bunch of the things they did, they said they said in the halakha or the traditionary law of Moses that when they walked into a room in one of the one of the uh, well they're going to eat in here this is going to be they got a triclinium laid in here somewhere. They got it in here for them to eat at. That as they were walking into the room, they had receptacles here that had water in them. I guess holy water of some sort. And they would walk in and dip their hands into those receptacles. And they called that washing their hands ceremonially and getting them clean. These guys, they didn't go out here and dig a and dig a septic tank and come in, and they their hands were their eating utensils. Can you imagine some guy coming in? Boy, you smell your pants. Your hands smell, and you're going. You're going to eat with us, not with me. You're not. They washed their hands because their hands had to be clean. Their hands were was their knives and their forks or their Chinese chopsticks or whatever you call them. You can't just come up and think you know. Well, they'd walk in there and they'd ceremonially dip their hands in that and you can get that out of out of the uh, study of the Halakha. Uh, I've got five volumes set of Mr. Uh, can't think of the guy's name. Lightfoot. 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 Mr. Lightfoot, he'll tell you that. In his commentary on the New Testament from the Talmud and Hebraic, he'll go into a lot of these things. The Pharisees said, preachers in America don't understand what Jesus' fight was with the Pharisees about. They don't know that everything. A lot of times I'll say, I wonder what Jesus was fighting with them about. And I'll go to my Lightfoot's commentaries, best commentaries I've ever seen. Sometimes I'll start to look something up. And I say, oh, goodness, he didn't cover that here. He couldn't cover everything, but he'd cover a lot in the Halakha. And they had the main thing we're talking about when it comes to baptism. And I've got to give it to you more than once. One of the things in their Halakha, and they would redo things that they would see in it. They it redid it in their minds. They took, you had the temple, had the veil of the temple, Ark of the Covenant, had the altar of incense, the table of showbread. I don't know how it was shaped, something probably like that. And the seven candlesticks here, and they would take the altar, 
This is a brazen altar. These were all gold inside the temple. Gold, Ark of the Covenant, gold altar of incense. And this is representative of the church. We may many are one bread and one body. The church, the prayers of the saints, and Revelation, uh, fourth and fifth chapter, and our hearts. That's the Ark of the Covenant. God's, the Bible says in Hebrews 10.22 that he sprinkles our hearts with pure water. Pure water. They knew what that meant. All of their water was, it was stagnant in Israel, especially during the summertime. The thing that they would drink would be grape juice. And they would boil it. Once grape juice is boiled, it cannot ferment. I've got a book on how it's fermented. And fermentation would be a type of leaven. Leaven was a picture of sin. They could not possibly be drinking leavened grape juice in Israel. Absolutely not. Not at, and certainly not at the Passover. People said Jesus took the cup of grape juice. There are several words for wine in the Bible. Ayin, oinas. The list goes on and on. And some of them were, were they had sweet wines. They weren't all the same. Just because it had W-I-N-E don't mean it was our wine that you can buy down here. Get some Mogan David that's, or whatever it is, that's got 11 in it. Wasn't that. It was against Jewish law to do that. So what they would do, they wanted cold water. The only place they get it, they, it was hot. That was an arid land. The only place to get cold water was down below the surface of the earth. You go to northern Israel, and they had a Jacob's well up there. And they had something to draw with. And Jesus comes to the woman at the well in John 4, and she says, he says, if you ask me, I'll give you living water. They called pure water living water. Living water, that's what they called pure water. Or they called it living water. And the reason they called it living was because under the ground, it was flowing as a river. Some of the greatest rivers in the world are underground. And because it was flowing, it was cold, it was underground. The Bible says in that last verse of chapter 10 of Matthew, the man that will give his neighbor cold water will not lose his reward. Cold water meant living water. And Jesus tells the woman, I'll give you living water. She said, but you don't have anything to draw with in Jacob's well. He said, I'm not talking about that water down into the ground. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, which is called living water. And Holy Spirit is what? It's the truth. John 14, 15, 16. John 14, 15, 16. John 15, 26. John 16, 13. 13. First John 5 and 6. The Spirit is the truth. Truth is living water. 
And when you tell people the truth about baptism or Christmas or Christ Mass, it was against the law to celebrate Christmas. 300 years ago in America, you tell them the truth about predestination, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. You're giving them the truth, and they'll baptize you with a baptism of blood because they will get angry at you and get furious with you, and that's why the world will hate you when you tell them a blood baptism is a death. I didn't say that. Mr. Strong says that, or one of his contributors says that. Mr. Girdlestone, one of the great Greek scholars of all time, will tell you that. So all these baptism has to do with covering us with the Holy Spirit, which is truth. I'm going to say it again. I'm not going to ask you, excuse me. Truth is the word A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. This is what causes you to be blood baptized. Truth comes from the word lanthano, which means to lie hid or conceal. When an alpha starts a word, at the beginning of a word, the alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. It's called the alpha privative. Alpha privative. It negates the word, gives an opposite meaning. Lanthano means to lie hid or conceal. Alanthano translates truth. It means not to hide anything. Define every word you can in every culture and custom. I can find lots in my library about about baptism being a death. I can the world. I said it Sunday morning. What's wrong with the world and the preachers in the world? They don't like definition, do they? They don't like it. They like tradition. Huh? That's tradition. They like, they like their Christmas. They like their Easter. Easter, Christmas. Easter is about Ishtar, it's about the resurrection of Tammuz in the ancient world. Did Jesus resurrect from the dead? Yes. He died to save sinners. And it was a blood baptism that he died. But Christmas, Easter, Mardi Gras, and Halloween and Valentine's are all the same thing in the ancient world in different cultures. Whether preachers like it or not, that's the that's the unvarnished Alantano, Alethea. I can document that, put it, I can stack every table here with information out of my library. And you can come through all the Baptist preachers and come through here and read that. And the Pentecostals in the Church of Christ, and they're not going to like it. And they're going to give me a blood baptism. They're going to separate from me. You mean somebody will literally kill you? They would if they could. There are people in this town that hate me because I'm taking the cover off constantly. And they brought into this halakha proselyte baptism. They said if you lived in a foreign country and you were a Gentile and you wanted to come to Israel and become a member of the kingdom of God, which was a term for Israel. And where's the kingdom of God now? Jesus said the kingdom of God is in you. When, he, when the apostles asked him, are you going to restore the kingdom of God 
Only southern Judah was back from the captivity. That was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Northern Israel was called the Ten Lost Tribes. They weren't back during the days of Jesus. And everybody wanted to know, are you going to deliver us and start the kingdom of again? Rome is persecuting us and they're ruling all the world and they come in here and they kill us and slaughter us without any provocation whatsoever. The Israel was a pill to the Roman Empire. So what they did, they brought all the proselytes. Proselyte was someone who's converted from one belief over to another. So if you lived anywhere, what do I do with that? If you lived anywhere in the world and you heard about Israel, here's Israel down here. They got that Judah down there because that's all that was there during the days of Jesus. Northern Israel wasn't there. So if you lived over here in, well, something more clear. If you lived in Ephesus and you wanted to come to Israel, become a member of Israel, this was part of their halakha. They said... You had to be washed in water. This is what the Pharisees said according to their halakha. Washed in water. You had to, number two, offer, oh, excuse me. This is the way they did it. First of all, you had to be circumcised. What's so amazing, they said they had to be washed in water which they called a new birth. This is the Pharisees. And then you had to offer two turtle doves. Two turtle doves. Or two young pigeons. This, two turtle doves and circumcision, was a part of the law of God. They took this washing in water out of the priests every day washing themselves over here in the brazen sea. You can find the brazen sea in First Kings, the seventh chapter. It was called a sea. It held at least 2,000 baths. And when the priests would come here and go do their daily sacrifices at the altar, they'd come back. Before they left, they'd wash themselves all over. When they come back, they'd wash their hands and their feet. This is where they got walking into this room to eat something. They dipped their hands in there. And Jesus said, you make the word of God of none effect by your paradosis. by your verbal law, which was the halakha of where you interpreted the law of God that you brought over from Israel over to Babylon, and you make the word of God of none effect by your opinions, by your Christ mass, by your Ishtar, by your dipping people in water by passing around crackers and grape juice. That is nothing. That is not what was happening. You've got Jesus, the Passover lamb in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians. He is specifically called that. 
Well, then every other part of the Passover would have to be spiritual too, wouldn't it? They had four items, four items at the Passover. One, two, three, four. Can anybody remember those four items at the Passover? The lamb. Huh? The lamb. The lamb. Thank you. Uh, without blemish, right? Yeah. Bitter herbs is number four. Sop. Huh? The sop. Well, that is the sop. Bitter herbs is the sop. The sop. Third cup. Huh? Third cup. Third cup. The third cup was called what? Three. They had four cups. And the third cup was called cup of blessing. And unleavened bread. And he says, the unleavened bread, which, what is the unleavened bread? That's the church. The bread the body. That's right, the bread is, we being many are one bread and one body. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, or 17. And the cup of blessing which we bless... Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? 1 Corinthians 10, 16. Cup of blessing was a term. You can get this out of Edersheim. Was a title. Cup of blessing was a title for the third cup of the Passover. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, they're talking about a spiritual Passover, not crackers and grape juice. Great day in the morning. What happened to the crackers and grape juice? Nailed to the cross. Nailed to the cross. He gave it to the church of Christ. <laughs> it what? <laughs> Moved over to the church of Christ. <laughs> I guess. So what happened to the crackers and grape juice? That wasn't crackers. It was unleavened bread at the Passover. Now the unleavened bread is the church. Isn't it? Now, drinking of a cup meant to undergo a death. Can you drink the cup that I drink of, James and John? Jesus wasn't saying, are you able to drink grape juice? No. He's saying, can you die the death? To drink of a cup, to be blood baptized, meant to undergo a death. I just, I don't know why I can find that out. Nobody else can find it out. You know, this is so misleading. Especially Eating crackers and drinking grapes, just like Mary said, is so misleading. If all you do is you think it's taking up that little... A it's a ritual. It, it went out. The reason Jesus was washed in water, the Pharisees called Jesus. Gosh, it takes a long explanation. Because... I need to tell you what none effect is. None effect. By your traditions to make the word of God of none effect. A-K-U-R-O-O. -O. Boy, that is a sledgehammer of a word. You make the word of God a karao. He's looking at the Pharisees. It comes from the word koreos. And the alpha primitive negates the word. Koreos is the word Lord. He says... With your traditions, with your Christ mass, with your Ishtar, with your Easter bunnies, all these traditions, you make the word of God. I am not your Lord when you do that. I'm not ruling you. 
Boy, you know, that just goes all over me that preachers don't know any of this. I spent 63 years digging for these things. I am not new at this. Every preacher in this town has not studied what I've studied. And I don't mean that to boast. I just have dug and dug and dug. I haven't studied little. I think I read some about that today. About what? About how they went after other gods. Well, they do. That's, he said, I am not your Lord when you go after these rituals. What happened to the rituals? Jesus is the... Is the is the Lamb without blemish in the fifth chapter of First Corinthians? The unleavened bread—that's the church in First Corinthians. Isn't it amazing? First Corinthians, the tenth chapter, the sixteenth and seventeenth verses, covers the unleavened bread and the cup of blessing. It covers. This is First Corinthians ten. 16, 17. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, 17 covers these two right here. 1 Corinthians, boy, 1 Corinthians is a Passover chapter. It tells you all about the spiritual Passover. And the bitter herbs, God tells Israel all through the Old Testament, I'll make you drink wormwood, which is a bitter herb. And when they, when Jesus says to the apostles, the one who dips his head in the sop or into the bitter herbs in the middle of this Passover, they're worship, they're keeping the. I hate to just have to stop and do this because if you haven't heard it before, great day in the morning. Let's go over there to Matthew twenty-six. You know how frustrated I get at preachers? You know what's wrong with preachers? I'm talking about all the Baptists, the Pentecostals, the Church of Christ, the Presbyterians. They're all bums. They think this is not a serious thing to get definitive and get real defined in the Word of God. I define everything in sight. All right. Look over Matthew 26. How... Plain can I make it? Chapter 26, verse 2. You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover. Just sing that out. Verse 17. The two days have passed. Now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the apostles came to Jesus saying unto him, Where thou that should we should prepare for thee to eat the Passover? What are they fixing to eat? The Passover. I want to scream that, stick my head out the window and yell it at these churches down there. These are the churches. And then in verse 18, he said, Go into the city to such a man and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand and I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had appointed them and they made ready the Passover. Now when evening was come, then they sat down with the twelve, and they did eat crackers and drink grape juice. <laughs> it doesn't say that they did eat the Passover. The Bible, when you read, 
Huh? If, they had, if they actually had studied it out, people wouldn't be eating crackers and grape juice. They'd be eating lamb. Yeah, that's right. They'd be eating lamb. But, and mainly because when you get Luke's... Well, you can get it all through here. You get it all through here. I like the way Luke puts it. Luke 22 is... That is a sister chapter to Matthew 26. Luke 22... I like it because right at the front of it, it says... And there, this is Luke's account of the same thing. Luke, 22nd chapter. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, and, which is called the Passover. Feast of Unleavened Bread was seven days. It was the Feast of the Passover. And he says down here in verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. There's three things called the Passover. The feast the day, and the lamb. Now, which one are they going to kill? Are they going to kill the day? Nope. Are they going to kill the feast? No, they're going to kill the lamb. They're eating a lamb there, just like Dee said. They're eating a lamb. Isn't that amazing? Go back to 26 chapter. You can go to Luke, the 22nd chapter. You can go to Mark, the 14th chapter. You can go to John, the third. I got to show you something in John, the thirteenth chapter. This, those are all four chapters that are sister chapters talking about the Passover reading. But when Jesus was nailed to the cross, I got to say it again. I don't know if I've said it enough. Now, where did I say he was going? I've got so much. Huh? Oh, John 13. John 13. John 13, through the 21st chapter, is only the last day and a half of Jesus' life. And these are all the things that's happening. When he says here in John 13, this is one of the bad translations of the, of the King James King James Bible. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come to die, that he would depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end, and the supper being ended. It's not the word. You're not going to figure out what this is with any Bible than other going to the interlinear Bible. It looks like they're going to eat this crackers and grape juice because if they keep going through here, Jesus will say, this is my body that was given to you. And he'll go through all that ritual of the Passover. It doesn't say when the supper being ended. The word ended is a terrible translation in a King James Bible. It's the word genomai. Man. Is that registered on anybody yet? That's right. Get on my. It's a form of G-E-N-N-E-S-I-S, -E -E which is nativity or birth. When it had begun. Doesn't say any. That's a terrible translation. It doesn't say anything about ended. 
in an interlinear Bible. How they can do that, I don't know. But they did. The devil had him put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things unto his hands, and so forth. I'm not going to read that, because you can read the same thing he's saying in John 13, Mark 14, Luke 22, and back over here to Matthew 26. I like all of them because they all say something different. Back to Mark 20, uh, Matthew 26. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to send to the Lord. Is it I? Am I the one that's going to betray you? And Jesus answered, He that dippeth its hand with me into the dish, it says sop and other and some of the others. And sop was the bitter herbs. It was part of the Passover. And they're laying there. And one and Judas is going to reach out. And dip his hand. Mike, this thing went off for me. Uh, can you do it? Fix it for me. One of the, Judas is one of them laying there, and he's going to reach over and dip his hand in the sop or in the bitter herbs. Bitter herbs is what we have to go through. If you think your life is bitter, witnessing to people, telling the truth, telling the truth and taking the cover off, you know the, the two things that men have been killed over more than any other rituals in the church is the crackers and grape juice and water washing. Try that. The Pharisees kept saying Jesus was a Samaritan. Samaria was northern Israel. It had never settled. When the Assyrians came in, carried northern Israel away, they intermarried with northern Israel. And when Jesus is up there at the well with the woman in John 4, and he said, you worship, you know not what, because the Assyrians had intermixed their sun and tree gods with northern Israel. And so the Pharisees were in southern Judah. The Pharisees wouldn't even step foot into northern Israel. If they were going up here to Tyre and Sidon, a totally pagan land, they'd walk around Israel and come up there, going over here into Perea and the area of the other of the other tribes. Pharisees wouldn't have anything in northern Israel. Jesus was from the land of Zebulun. Wasn't born there. You can see Zebulun over here. Nazareth is in Zebulon. And they said, if you think we'll have anything to do with them, you're wrong. That's why when Peter and John went to Nathaniel and said, we found the Messiah. And Nathaniel said, where's he from? They said, Nazareth. <laughs> he went, what? That's what I think of Nazareth. Nothing good clean can come out of Nazareth. It was like saying Jesus lived in a septic tank. That's what they believed. That's what they thought. So he said, if I will undergo their proselyte process, they said they will have to listen to me. He had already been circumcised. That was Jewish law under Abraham in Genesis, the 17th chapter that you circumcise every male the eighth day 
Eighth day is the height of blood clotting factor in a person. We know that now. That's why God said the eighth day. So Jesus said, if I'm washed in water, his mother offered two turtle doves when she came to Jerusalem after her 40 days that she had to be separated. That was Jewish law. And the and he hadn't been nailed to the cross yet. So they brought this washing that the priest took here and inserted it into their... And when he's nailed to the cross, all of this is done away with. But how can that be? Even the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Philip didn't tell him to be baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch is coming back from one of the festivals at Jerusalem. The, the uh, compendia will tell you great set of books that when they baptized proselytes they did it at one of the feasts so evidently this Ethiopian eunuch of course they're not going to be able to circumcise him because he really doesn't have any genitalia they, they would circumcise people who were eunuchs and that meant they were servants of a king somewhere that way they wouldn't raise up their children to overthrow the kingdom they could be real nice guys and the kings would be real close to him. Nehemiah was probably a eunuch because he was the cupbearer for Artaxerxes. So, when they got to water, the man is reading the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, this Ethiopian eunuch. He said, who's this man talking about himself or someone else? Of course, it was Isaiah talking about Jesus. And he said, the Ethiopian eunuch said, what does hinder me to be baptized? He was talking about a proselyte baptism. He couldn't have been talking about a water uh, a blood baptism. He had heard from those Pharisees over there at Jerusalem where he's coming from that, from that gathering that he needed to be washed in water in order to be a proselyte and become a member of the kingdom of God. And Philip said to him, you're permitted to, if you believe with all your heart, you're permitted to be a member of the kingdom of God, which was a national thing with them. It had to do with that proselyte baptism. You're not going to know anything about that. If you don't read some of those books, read the compendia. It's, those are books are expensive. You got the compendia of the Jews in the first century. First two volumes, magnificent books. Give... Baptist preacher, you know, I gave the Baptist a hard time. I was raised a Baptist preacher's home, and I was ordained a Baptist preacher. I know they have left God far behind. They all believed in predestination in the 1850s in America. They believed that Christmas was pagan hundred, little over 100 years ago, all of them. But you take them and show them what this is talking about, they're not going to know what to do with it. So, what happened to all those rituals? Let's go back over to Colossians. I got something I want to read to you. I can't teach part of this without teaching all of it. I'm skipping a lot of things as I'm going through this. Y'all know that, don't you? All right, Colossians 2. Remember I said, where was Colossia? Over here, 
on the western end of Turkey. See if we can find it. Colossians right over here, close to Ephesus, right over here. I don't know if I got it on a map. It's right in here. Is it a Gentile church? Yeah. If you want to become a member of the kingdom of God before Jesus was nailed to the cross, you have to come over here. You had to forsake everything over there, get rid of your money, your furniture, everything, and come over here and undergo this process. Right there. And Jesus said, if I get washed in water, they have to listen to me by their halakha. They said so. That's why when he'd start talking, they'd be going, ah, ah. they'd be growling, biting nails in two, stick a nail in their house, and it'd pop. They were that honorary. People don't know the fight that Jesus was in. Because when he preached his first message, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, they've changed the word of God. Right before that, he said, one jot or one tittle of God will not be changed. They changed all of it. He said, one won't be changed. And then he said, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, they've changed everything. For it hath been said by them of old time. Said is an Direct reference to the halakha, to their verbal law, their traditionary law of Moses. It was a direct reference to that. It had been said by them of old time, but I say, I was the God on the mountain with Moses. Don't tell me what you said. Don't tell me what I said is God to them. They said, the, they said all this verbal law was given to Moses on the mountain, and it took precedent over the written law of God. That's what the Pharisees said. If preachers knew what the Pharisees said, they'd know how to preach Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Even has a lot about the Halakha throughout the epistles of the prophets. What happened to all that? What happened to all the rituals? You make the word of God of none effect. I'm not your God with all your rituals. What I'm saying is the truth, you preachers out there. The problem is not mine, it's yours. If I didn't know these things, I could wallow in ignorance out here. Ignorance is bliss. You know what the problem was? What's that? They were religious. They were religious, that's right. Religious. I don't really care whether anybody likes the facts. I'm going to spew the facts out. I have jumped two preachers in town publicly. And they just look at me going, and that's all they could do. Just get rid. One of them got red in the face, and Eric was standing there with me. He said they. He was mad. I chewed the guy out, and I told him, I said, "Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of person? If a man comes in your assembly and wears a gold ring and goodly apparel, and he's a head of a big real estate company or an insurance mogul, and you say, sit here in the good seat, and tell the poor, sit over there under my footstool, you are." partial in yourselves and he goes on to equate that with adultery and murder and that preacher just stood there just just trembling red all over and I told him the last thing I said to him I said that's not your people at that church it was a big church between here and Gallatin he lost it it's not even that church anymore 
I said, you call those people to repentance. He said, I might do that. I wanted to slap him for saying that. I might do that. That was his exact words, wasn't it, Eric? Exact words. Huh? He was a peacock. Now, what happened to these? If you'll notice in Colossians, Colossians was a Gentile church. Before Jesus died, they would have had to go through this process to be a, an Israelite. They were called proselytes. They were called converted proselytes. Proselytes of the gate is what they called them. And if you'll notice... In Colossians 2, 11. Speaking of Christ, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. It is a spiritual circumcision. The Bible refers in Ephesians, in Ephesians, the second chapter, it speaks of a circumcision made with hands. He says that, that circumcision that's made with hands was the Jews. He said, there's a circumcision made without hand, it's spiritual circumcision. And Paul said in Romans, the second chapter, circumcision is not outwardly, but of the heart. A Jew is of the heart. And then he says, and notice, circumcision comes first. I started to tell you a while ago. The Jews did the circumcision first because they thought washing in water would damage the wound of circumcision. So this was the way they did it right here. Circumcision, then washing. We know it was clean water. It wasn't going to hurt them. But they didn't know that. Then two turtle doves. What happened to all the rituals? He says here in verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Do I have any time, Mike? 35. All right, I'm going to try to get this in. Nailing it to his cross. I keep saying this, and I'm going to read something to you. If they had a contract, they would act it out. Had a performance in real estate. I sold real estate for 17 years. They have what they call specific performance. You write a contract, and when all the, when everything in the contract is met by the seller and the buyer, then you fulfill the contract. And you, you actually perform a contract. They actually perform their contracts in the Old Testament. The Jews did. You remember Ezekiel? Ezekiel over there, over in Ezekiel, the fourth chapter, this is, a, when Jesus said, this bread is my body, how many bodies are there? One. Ephesians 4 and 5. One body. There's one body. What is the body? The church. And he didn't say, eat my body. He said, he said, eat my flesh, but the flesh is truth. He said, gosh, I'm just getting ahead of everything. 
except to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He said, this flesh is my body. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, says there's only one body. We went through this in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. The way you eat of the body, you partake of it. The hand can't say, I'm not of the body because I'm not of the eye. Or the eye can't say, I'm not of the body because I'm not of the face. Or I'm not of the teeth. Everybody's a part of the body of Christ that's been born again. You're baptized into the body of Christ. Now, so there's one body. And when you're in one body, look over here in Ezekiel, fourth chapter. When Jesus said, this is my body, he used the word esteem, is, instead of enai, e-n-a-i, which would be is, or be, a form of the verb to be, he used the word e-s-t-i-n, which means to represent. This bread represents my body, which is the church, Colossians 1 and 18 and 124. The body's the church. That's what the Bible says. So, you see over here in the, the Ezekiel, the fourth chapter. I don't know how... If you research contracts, you're going to find this out. Ezekiel 4. This is a contract that God's making with Israel because they have rejected him. I'm making a contract with you and I'm going to have Ezekiel act it out. Thou also, son of man, take thee a tile, just some piece of of rock or stone, a tile, and lay it before thee and portray, act out, chakot, C-H-A-Q-A-C-A-Q, hack or engrave it and portray upon it the city of Jerusalem. Ezekiel is over here in Babylon. He's been carried captive in 597 B.C. in the peaceful deportation. But he said, portray this. He's over here in Babylon telling Israel 650 miles away what God's going to do and he's going to act it out with a contract and lay siege against it lay down on the ground pretend you're playing like little kids in the dirt and lay siege against it hit it or something or knock it down and build a fort against it and cast a mount against it like those big mounts that cast to get walls and set battering rams against it round about. They had to be little toy-like battering rams. I don't know how big he'd build it. He might have built it big where people could see it better. Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan, and set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city, and set thy face against it, and it shall be besieged, and thou shalt lay siege against it. This shall be the side to the house of Israel. Lie also upon thy left side, and lay the iniquity of the house of Israel upon it, according to the number of the days that thou shalt lie upon it. Thou shalt bear their iniquity, for I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity, according to the number of days, 390 days. This was the number of years from the revolt of the ten northern tribes to the destruction of Jerusalem. It was 390 years, a year for a day. You can get that out of uh, 
Philip, Mr. Phillips' book on Daniel, I guess, what did I say it was? Phillips' book, anyway, it's book on Daniel. And thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. When thou hast accomplished this, lie upon thy right side. This is a contract. This is what God's going to do to you. He's out there building this little mound and putting up this little iron wall and knocking the wall down. And people's going, what's he doing? Contract, this is what's going to happen to you. Thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. I have appointed thee each day for a year. Forty years was included in the sum of the 390 years, according to the scholars. Jeremiah prophesied for 40 years against southern Judah. That's a contract. He has another contract in chapter 5 of Ezekiel. And thou, son of man, take thee a sharp knife. This is the second witness. Remember two witnesses? Had to have two witnesses to confirm anything. Thou son of man, take thee a sharp knife, take thee a barber's razor, and cause it to pass over thine head and upon thy beard, and take thee a, a balances to weigh and divide the hair. People are not going to have any idea what this is about unless you study contracts. You had to perform the contract. Once it's performed and God gave it, this is going to happen. Thou shalt burn with fire a third part of the midst of the city, when the days of the siege are fulfilled, and thou shalt take a third part. He's talking to Israel. He's speaking to them somewhere in the neighborhood of 597 B.C., maybe 96 or 95. And he's telling what's going to happen in 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and lays Israel to the ground, destroys it, destroys the temple, pulls the walls down, burns the city. That's what he's telling them. This is a contract. When the days of the siege are fulfilled, and thou shalt take a third part and smite them about with a knife, and the third part shall be scattered to the wind, and I will draw out a sword after them. And thou shalt also take there of a few in number and bind them in thy skirts. Then take of them again and cast them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire, for therefore shall a fire come forth out of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, this Israel I have set in the midst of the nations and countries that are round about him. And he goes on and on. Now, go back over here to Colossians. He's talking about this contract that I performed. I've got to tell you one other thing. I've got to add it in here because I love this part of it. In Matthew 26. Matthew 26, he says, I'll get it in a minute. Matthew 26. He takes the cup. I don't know how all the preachers have missed this totally. He takes the cup. This is the night before he's put on the cross. The night before he dies. Somewhere, let's just say, maybe... Maybe nine o'clock at night. And he takes the cup. And he says. Should I say this slowly? Maybe if some preacher's watching. He'll understand this. All right. Matthew 26. 
and you got to connect that with 1 Corinthians. You're going to have to cover some territory here. All right. 1 Corinthians, the, not 1 Corinthians, Hebrews, what am I talking about? I'm getting books mixed up. Hebrews, the Hebrews, the ninth chapter. And we're going to connect these two together. You have to understand this. This is one of the most important things about this Passover. Verse 26. And as they were eating, not crackers and grape juice, the Passover, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this represents my body. We told how the body of Christ, we all take part in it. When we are members in particular, we're either the head, we're not the head, but we're the body, the eye, or we're the ear, or we're the appendix, or we're the the tonsils, some part that's that's not, it's uncomely, it don't fit very well. And that's what he's talking about. He took and gave thanks and drank it and said, drink ye all of it. If you drink all of the cup, to drink of a cup meant to undergo a death. Do this the rest of your life is what he's saying until you're killed for it. And he took the cup and gave thanks. That's very important. The third cup of the Passover was called the cup of blessing or the cup of thanks. And gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Look here. And he goes on to finish it. Which is shed for many for the remission of sin. The cup equals New Testament, doesn't it? And testament is, what's the word? Somebody tell me what the word testament. Diatheke. Huh? Diatheke. Diatheke. Who said that? You said it. I heard you say it. Diatheke. And what does diatheke mean? Testament. Last. No, what does it mean? Last. Last will and testament now when does the last will and testament have power when the testator is dead huh when the testator is dead that's right power there's power in the testament only after the death of the testator the testator is the one who drew up the last will and testament here you are at nine o'clock on Thursday night 
Jesus is not going to die somewhere between 12 and 3 the next day. If there was darkness from the 6th, the 6th hour of the day, the day started at 6, the daylight day started at 6. Their day started at 6 o'clock in the evening or sundown and went to the next evening at sundown. 6 or sundown. Okay. So, Jesus has to be dead before they can take the drink the cup. It doesn't have to be dead. He's got to be dead before they can drink the cup. He's not saying as soon as they put me to death tomorrow, there's a Roman soldier going to pierce me in the side, and they're going to make sure I'm dead. And after that, I want all of you all to gather around and drink grape juice, okay? That, that's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous. Look over here in Hebrews 9. It's crazy, is it? It doesn't make any sense. Look in Hebrews 9. Ah, let me see here. For where, Look at verse 16. For where a testament is, is that cup a testament? Is drinking a cup death to self? Yes. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. The testator is the one who drew the testament up. Jesus has to die before this cup has any effect. But what happens to the cup? It's nailed to the cross the next day. All the rituals are nailed to the cross. To do away with the contract, you bring out the two original witnesses, you bring out the two original contracting parties, say, are you contracting parties ready to nullify this original contract? They say, yes. Two witnesses, were you there watching it? Yes. They drive a nail through it, just like we take a notary stamp. And look what he says. There has to be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force. Be bios. B-E-B-I-O-S. I don't really care whether any preachers understand this or not. If they don't understand it, they don't want to understand it. They don't want to have to go through all this. They'd just rather pass around crackers and grape juice. Makes it easy. Telling a person you've got to drink the cup and die daily. Paul said, I die daily. I drink the cup daily. They were chasing him all over the all over the country trying to kill him every day. Running him out of one town out of another. They'll run to, well, they want to run you out of Hendersonville if you take a stand for the truth. And then he says, if a testament is a force, testament is only a force after men are dead. Who has to die here? Before the cup can be drunk. When Jesus is nailed to the cross, every ritual was nailed with him, including water, including uh, Passover. They've got this messed up. Where did the Passover come from? Where did the crackers and grape juice come from? I'll tell you exactly where it come from. When you read what they were doing in the first century, 
the Christians were constantly under fire. People trying to persecute them. The Roman Empire was killing them, feeding them to the lions, giving them to the gladiators. They were being slaughtered fast. And there was no way out of it. So they started meeting in catacombs under Rome, as tunnels under Rome. They started meeting in caves. And they would bring their little pouch with them, what was called a script. A script is a food bag. It's not a scripture. Like that stupid Jim Jones said, the Bible says, take no script with you, and he threw the Bible on the floor. Don't take any scripture with you. He's a lame brain. Anybody had killed 900 people has got to be crazy. And uh, But they'd take a little script to keep cheeses and figs in it and so forth. They'd meet in a little cave or something that said, everybody bring something to drink. Did you bring your bring your cheeses and your breads? And they would sit down in a dark place just to have a little fellowship. And they had what they called the Agape Love Feast. The Agape Love Feast was something they did in 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, they're having an agape love feast. They would all bring food for the poor and the needy and take offerings for them. And that's why Paul said in that 11th chapter, he said, you got homes to go to. Don't eat all the food up before you get here. Just keep it here for the poor. Wait for them. And they were having an agape love feast in the 11th chapter. I don't have time to go there because... I've got to get into the whited sepulchers and the, and I'll get into that next week. I want to start into it just as quick as I mention it. And he says, For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. The man who's drawn it up was Christ. He was the testator as long as he's alive until he dies the next day. Somewhere between 12 and 3, there's darkness from the 6th to the ninth hour. 3 o'clock in the afternoon was the ninth hour of the daylight day. Now, let's go back over here to Colossians. I got some things to tell you. And I ain't going to be able to get to them, I know. All right. All right, let me see here. Um, go back to Colossians 2.14 I'm going to read this to you Colossians was a Gentile church before they before Jesus was crucified they'd have to go through washing in water or circumcision washing in water and often two turtle doves he covers that right here. He says, you are baptized with the baptism of Christ. You're circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. That's the process of becoming a member of the kingdom of God. But now that's over with. That's why he goes on to say. He goes on to say, that's not it, it's over here. 
you being dead in your sins, verse 13, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, they were uncircumcised because they were Colossians. Hath he quickened? He's made you alive with a spiritual circumcision. Quicken. Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. Zopaio means to make. Poeo. Alive. You've been made alive without zoo, zoon. Get our word zoo from that. It's a place where you go see living animals. You're made alive with the circumcision of Christ. And hath quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. There's two handwritings. One on tables of stone in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy in the ninth chapter, Moses came down from the mountain. He had in his hand two tablets written with the finger of God. And in the, sec in the third chapter of 2 Corinthians, now the law is written on fleshy tables of our heart. You find that in 2 Corinthians 3, 2, 3, 4, and 5. You find it over in Hebrews 8. He writes it in our hearts. You find it in Hebrews 10. He writes it in our hearts. Which one of the handwritings is he going to do away with? Stone. The rituals. The handwriting of rituals. By nailing it to his cross. I've got some interesting things. How much time do I have, Mike? Well, huh? Well. I can't cover this thoroughly. Contracts. I'm going to read something out of several articles I got on contracts. All right. This is out of McClinic and Strong. You look up contract. All right. I'll read some of it. I can't read all of it. The conclusion of the contracts among the ancient Hebrews sometimes was done by simple joining of hands. And thus the Hindus in this day uh, ratify now you got to understand what the Jews would start it would bleed into all these other societies and engaged by one person laying his right hand upon the hand of another sometimes also a covenant was ratified by erecting a heap of stones to which appropriate name was given Genesis 31 through 54 and made between Abraham and the king of Gerir was ratified by the oath of both parties also by lambs and giving a name to the well in which it occasioned the, the transaction. Festiv festivities appear to have accompanied the ceremonies attending such alliances. They would usually have a meal at these, at these feasts, just like they had the Passover meal at the Feast of Agape. The Scythians are said to have first poured wine into an earthen vessel and then contracting parties, cutting their arms with a knife to let the blood have run into the wine. It was against God's law for us to drink blood or of any kind. But they would have two men get together. They would slit their fingers, put their hands together, and they'd mingle their blood, and they would call that a friend that sticketh closer than a brother and made you brothers, blood brothers. Then, another mode of ratifying covenants 
was by the superior contracting party presenting to the others some article of his own dress or arms. What clothing did Jesus give us in his contract? Robes. Huh? White robes. White robes, how? Baptism. Huh? He's made our robes white in the blood of Christ, hasn't he? As many of you been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You don't take him off. You don't take the water off. <coughs> Thus Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David. And his garments even to his sword and to his bow he was bowing to David as the king. Even though his father Saul was the king. And to his girdle. 1 Samuel 18 and 4. And at the present day, the highest honor of the king of Persia can bestow upon a subject is to cause himself to be disappareled and give his robe to his favorite individual. And then he says, The earliest notice of a written instrument sealed and delivered for ratifying the disposal and transfer of property occurs in Jeremiah uh, 30. What's LX? No, 32, 10 through 15, which the prophet commanded Baruch to bury in the earthen vessel. No mention is particularly made as to the manner in which the deeds were, were canceled. Let me read this here. Among the Hebrews, long before them, among the Canaanites, the purchase of anything, consequence was concluded and the price paid at the gate of the city as the seat of judgment before those that went out. From the latter book, we also learn that in some occasions of purchase and exchange, the transfer was confirmed by the proprietor plucking off his shoe at the city gate. That's what Boaz did with the stranger there in the book of Ruth. And in the presence of the elders and other witnesses, handing it over to the new owner. And he says that some expositors have imagined in Colossians 2.14. I don't think it's an imagination. I don't think they studied enough. Paul refers to the cancel of them by blotting and drawing a lie across them by striking them through with a nail. Well, the scripture says that's the way it was blotted out. Let me get to another one of these. Blotting out the handwriting orders, which is contrary to us, took in driving a nail through it and validating the contract. I've got things from, I'm going to have to finish some of them next week. It has been supposed, this comes from Colossians, the second chapter, by Mr. Lightfoot. Colossians, this is his commentary on Colossians. The abrogation, aggregation means canceling, was even more emphatic. Not only was the writing erased, but the document itself was torn up and cast aside. That's exactly what happened with all the rituals of the Old Testament. The law of ordinances were nailed to the cross, rent with Christ's body, and destroyed with his death. See the notes on Galatians 4.14 of his in this same commentary. It has been supposed in some cities the abrogation or the cancellation of the decree was signified by running a nail through it and hanging it up in public. The image would then thus gain force 
we, we don't have any distinct evidence of the custom other than the Bible itself. Now, let me read something to you here. But why read all this? Won't we just pass around crackers and grape juice? Huh? Why study? Do we need to do this? I'm just going to give you this. I'll come back and finish it up next week. The word nail. You remember when J.L. drove the nail through the head of Sisera and, the, and Judges? That word is Yathod, Y-A-T-H-A-D. Y-A-T-H-A-D. That means a tent peg. She took a tent peg, drove it through his temple, canceled his life immediately. Egg. Huh? Egg. What? Was it metal? Yeah. It was Jael that did it. I know who did it. It was a peg. They called it a nail. It was a peg. It was a... They're all the same. They call pegs nails. Was it metal? Huh? Was it metal? No, it don't matter. She's dead. <laughs> or he was dead. Jail wasn't. Jail's the one that did it. Was it metal? Huh? You're not going to understand my accent. Was it metal? No. <laughs> not necessarily. Any peg was called a nail. It means a peg or a pin or a stake. It could be a tent stake. Then when you read nail, John twenty twenty-five. I'm gonna have to come back next week to finish this. John twenty twenty-five. Let's look at it quickly. Twenty twenty-five. The only two places it's mentioned other than Colossians two fourteen is here. Twenty twenty-five, and the other disciples therefore said unto him, "We have seen the Lord." And he said unto them, "Except I see the hands, the print of the nails, and put my fingers into the print of the nails." That's the only two places. That's Thomas doubting Christ. That word "nail" there is the word. Presselua, P-R-E-S-L-O-O, Presselua, and that means a nail. But the handwriting of ordinances nail is not any of these. Botting out the handwriting of ordinances, which is contrary, is to get out of the way. Excuse me, that's the word Presselua, excuse me. In John, that's a different word in John twenty twenty five, but in Colossians two fourteen, it's Priscilla. It means to be indebted to. That's the word nail in Colossians two fourteen. To cancel a debt. We're indebted to Christ. And when I read some more out of, you'll understand that. Sometimes define the most insignificant words when you think you know them and you don't, do you? Yeah. I didn't have any idea what this was till I got to thinking today. I need to look up nail. 
nailed to his cross. And when you get into into Mr. Lightfoot's uh, book, I've got it up here, and I don't have time to read anymore. I'll bring it out to you next week, how the nail had to do with the debt. When they canceled the debt, they would hang it on a nail. You can't just say, Today, nailed to his cross. Uh, see, it's all over with. And we, now let's get to baptizing people, dipping in water, and pass around crackers and grape juice. No. That's not what it's about. The rituals are gone. You know that rituals are what make men not want to serve God. When you really want to find out what the truth is, you've got to find out what a spiritual Passover is. We teach on the spiritual. If you notice, the spiritual baptism, the spiritual Passover comes together in this study. It gives them a false security. It gives a false security, like Mary said, when you're letting the rituals rule you. There's a man here in town. Owned a big plumbing company. I saw him one night somewhere. He said, well, I got saved the other night. Walked down the aisle. Accepted Christ as my Savior. And I got my house out here. And and uh, hand in the lake right here on the lake. Six, seven hundred thousand dollar house. At the time, it's probably a million and a half now. Uh, got my bike home. Own my company, everything's paid for, get my soul fixed, and uh, don't have to pray to God anymore. Mister, you really, he thought walking down an aisle and accept Christ was, the, no, that ain't it at all. There ain't no such thing as accept Christ. Got my cars paid for. He actually stood there and said that to me, an intelligent man that had built a big company and made lots of money. I thought, what a, what a fool. If you believe if you believe in passing around crackers and grape juice, you can forget drinking the cup. You can forget partaking of the body of Christ, which is the church. You can forget being washed in his blood. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? They're only spotless when we're dying daily. Dying daily is drinking the cup. That's death to self. That's a daily cross. That's self-denial. Isn't it funny? They all mean the same thing. Death to self, daily cross, self-denial, drinking the cup, washed with the blood. They're all the same. It's different ways of saying the same thing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, help us to understand and learn your word. Let us die daily. Boy, that is the hard part of this whole thing, dying daily. Let us drink the cup. Let us be baptized with the baptism of evil men as they want to destroy us, separating from us because of the truth. Help the church to be strong. We give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.
I can't get over this. I hope y'all, I've been on baptism for a long time. And every time I get on something like this, I have a hard time getting away from it. I want to learn more about the nails. Huh? About the what? Well, Mr. Lightfoot says in his life in the ancient East, he's got a lot about it in there. I didn't read from that tonight. I'm just kind of holding back on that. But if you think baptism is getting dipped in water, you can forget everything I said. If it's dipped in water, then... You know what I just said tonight? Never mind. That's what Emily Teller used to say. How they think they can study the Bible and come up with crackers and grape juice for the Passover? I don't know. Because Cyprian took a hold of it and brought it into the church. Cyprian was a so-called early church father. And he kept that gathering together and having a Godly love feast. It evolved around 157. I meant to say it tonight. Around 157 A.D. It broke off from the church and became a liturgy. It broke off from the Agape love feast and became a liturgy.